Today's episode of the podcast is brought to you by Lingo. Lingo is Ireland's first and only spoken word festival and it's taking place in Dublin from Friday, October 21st to Sunday, October 23rd. It's the third year of Lingo and this year the organisers decided to ask the question if spoken word is all about having a voice then how can we really amplify the ones calling for change? So they're showcasing some of the most interesting and inspirational voices from Ireland and overseas to do just that with headline shows from the legendary US hip-hop artist Sage Francis in the Workman's Club a charity event featuring Palestinian poet Rafif Ziada in Liberty Hall in aid of help refugees and an evening of slam poetry and conversation on art and social change called Kick Up The Arts in Whelan's. For more info on the programme and tickets, visit www.lingofestival.com. This week's episode of the podcast is also brought to you by uh, Aiken Promotions, who want you to know that the Rubber Bandits are coming to Vicker Street on Friday the 28th of October 2016. The award, the IFTA award-winning uh, comedy group who you will have seen on uh, Republic Italia on, uh, doing their own stuff on RTE, on Channel 4, on ITV, over 50 million views on YouTube for their various hilarious videos and songs. And uh, basically they're one of the funniest, uh, if not the funniest, uh, comedy acts in Ireland. Uh, today so you can get tickets for that show on ticketmaster.ie that is Friday 28th of October 2016 Vicker Street for the Rubber Bandits that's the ad and this is the show Hello and welcome back to the podcast today's episode is a classic it is episode 9 featuring Peter Coonan from love hate what I studied radio in in Dunleary, uh, back at, in the early uh, in the early two thousands and mm-hmm. I, I my lecture would definitely say it's bad practice to start uh, which is ostensibly a radio show without saying the name of the show if they don't know the name of the show on their iPhones or their or their Androids but people are predisposed to certain you know um, what's the word uh, conventions. Okay, and I think that it will jar with them if you don't say this is the weekly general meeting. This is the weekly general meeting, a podcast about creativity. Um, I'm Shane Langan. Still not sure about that tag, but anyway, episode nine is a classic. It's Peter Coonan from Love Hate, Colm O'Regan from Comedy and from Humor, comedy, yeah, uh, Sarah Griffin, who you might have heard on a couple of previous episodes. She is a fantastic author with a book out. Her book, uh, Spare and Found Parts, is uh, is uh, is out. It's only out in the states. Actually, it's not out this side of. If you're if you're on the Irish side, I can get it on the dark web. You, well, you know, you can get it on Amazon. Oh, don't, the, just the I web don't think constitutes the dark web, but it's uh, it's it's amazing. It's I can't wait to read. I was about to say it's amazing, but I haven't read it. But it sounds amazing. So we heard her uh, read an extract um, at one of our live shows, which will. Uh, be on as further future further future episodes further future episodes yeah so so this is it that was so we've got a performance from Sarah from a bit further back and just in case you're wondering we are spending this uh, four episode break working on our in inter banter thing inter banter yeah it's just not that's probably the weakest part of the podcast what are you think something else is the weakest part? What's the way you think <laughs> part of the book? Um, your your um your your adherence to radio protocol. <laughs> <laughs> That's a fair point. All right, enjoy the episode. Oh, don't forget Anderson. We've got music from Anderson as well. Yeah, that's true. Um, you might have heard uh, our special episode with Anderson earlier on in this series. He's a really really interesting character, and you should listen to that episode for context hmm. in terms of uh, his origins and stuff. But uh, he came to this show in Mabos, which is now the fucking headquarters of Airbnb, apparently. Is it? Yeah, do you remember the place where we had the gig? It was like a warehouse. Yeah. On the south side near the. Yeah. Is it the basin? The Grand Canal Basin? It was class, anyway. It was like skateboarding, half pipes, and arcade machines. You know what the ironic thing is? Yeah. That was a genuinely cool space, right? Set up by a bunch of creative people who were interested in creative arts, right? And they had like yoga days on weekends and they taught people how to make like reclaimed crate furniture and they had half pipes or skateboarding and arcade games. I think you know where we're going. To. No, I Chances don't. are the fucking poxy headquarters of Airbnb has probably got a sanitized version of all of those things. <laughs> well, we don't know. That's just pure speculation. Also, I had my flat on Airbnb for a while and I got in trouble. <laughs> you do want to tell the story? Nope. <laughs> Bye good, now. Enjoy the episode. It's a good one. Yeah. The, no. No. Yeah. Just, yeah. Okay. Yeah. You took. Yeah. 
see that's bad you see that's sorry. you're not you're not sort of we're a team here we're co-hosts don't like I'm sorry throw shit at me hey Shane what what do you think everyone should do uh you just watch what you mean <laughs> that's terrible what they should enjoy the episode oh enjoy the episode yeah and then we're going to hand you over to our our, our old selves uh, we're about, we're on break but we'll be oh, no, well, yeah I first met Sarah Griffin a number of years ago when she was involved in a number of literary events and endeavours at the Exchange Arts Collective in Dublin. She was one of the most talented and exciting young writers in Dublin until, unfortunately for us anyway, she moved to San Francisco in 2012. On virtually the eve of her move to the US, she performed at our monthly general meeting night. We've dipped into our vault-like hard drive to bring you this recording of her performance that night. Um, I'm emigrating in four weeks. Um after my partner. Um, we're one of many, I'm sure everybody here knows somebody who's left, we're leaving in droves, fucking famine ships all over again. So um, I'll do one about, because like I said at the very beginning, it's like bodies are political things. So aside from all the things that we do to each other, living in a human body, whether it's male or female, is a really political action in itself. Um, so this is a poem that I wrote called, uh, in which I attempt to console myself about eating a loaf of garlic bread at midnight. <laughs> True story, guys. It was, this, this is a battle. Um, the garlic bread sits, a cold loaf on the table, the length of my forearm, crumbled by hands at dinner. Singing, girl, come here now. You go for an L bite now. Just buzz into the fridge and get some ketchup. Nobody's here, only you, me, Netflix, Reeves, and Mortimer playing detective. Nobody's judging you. And if they are, fuck them. It is the place of nobody's hands on the softness of a jaw that was striking when you were 18. Maybe it's less so now, but it's still your jaw. No frocks should dare squeeze you wrong. No photographs distort you. Words like thick, voluptuous, curvy, when said with a sneer, are but police tape on your flesh. Daniel Anderson is in our opinion, one of the most talented songwriters and singular talents in the Irish music scene. He was lead singer and songwriter with the fantastic Dublin band The Rags before deciding to change direction and sound, performing solo as Anderson. He joined us at our recent live shows to play a few songs. Here is Anderson. I'm going to play a song that I robbed from Paul Simon, but sort of unwittingly and then someone mentioned it to me and I thought well fuck it I'm going to take it anyway so then I called it Cecilia's sister you know Cecilia breaking my heart down so here, here it is anyway it's stolen so I go walking through the fields past the burnt out cars and the bicycle wheels Wondering what I'm supposed to do To get out of this place and get through to you It's not hard to make sense of the things that I see How the people react when they're talking to me The cycle is spinning out of control And the years are beginning to take their toll And you hide in your heart what you want me to say When you give yourself over to doubt Cause you know how it feels when you're down and you're out And you can't see a future in me That's his bit Looking out over the concrete maze Where as a child I put away the best of my days The sun-cut horizons remind me of you Where the cloud starts to split and the light comes through The hut of the night comes over the day When the kids on the corner laugh together and say Mr. Why do you dress like that? You look like a queer in that stupid hat And I fell for the feeling I got for this song But Cecilia was there all along And she bitched and she cried Till the sun set and died And I knew it was time to move on Cullum O'Regan is the Dublin-based Cork-born comedian responsible for the Irish Mammy's Twitter feed, which has spawned two books and thousands upon thousands of devoted followers. 
The handle is at Irish Mammies, although you probably follow it already. Cullum popped into one of our recent Dublin recordings to perform a little bit of stand-up. This is Cullum O'Regan. Thank you. Thank you very much, everybody. Uh, it's, uh, it is my pleasure to be here. Um, it's absolutely it's for the benefit of the podcast listeners. We're in, I suppose, an early 20th century industrial building, um, but it's been really nicely done up. There's lots of paintings on the wall of various genres, and they mean something, I'm not quite sure what, but they're really nice. And I just have this image that as we're indulging in this quite nice artistic experience, there's nice people in the audience, nice people on the stage, and everything is, it's a very pure form of artistic expression that somewhere on the other side of town, there's this evil developer who's got a model of what this is about to become. Like, it's, <laughs> like, it's gonna be the headquarters of cunt tech. Uh, <laughs> We're a social media enablement guru, Wankstein, will company, and, and they're, you know, so they're saying, and then what we're, like, they have like this evil American accent for some reason. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna knock everything and build this like atrium that's shaped like a boat, because every fucking piece of architecture has to look like something like a boat now. And, and then somebody would say, oh, what's there at the moment? Oh, I don't know, some hipster assholes, who gives a fuck? <laughs> but in the company, having just joined the company, is a guy who used to skateboard here. And like on Friday, he said goodbye to everybody. And he was like, you know, guys, you, you realize this is a really big opportunity for me. And everybody's going, hey, Skip, no worries, man. You gotta, you, gotta, you gotta pay the rent. You go and be yourself. I know you gotta join the company, so that's no problem. And he's like, but I still feel for you. You know, I'll, I'll still come back and visit. And, and they're like, no, man, don't worry about us. And he's in the office now watching where he's been about to be turned into this glass and atrium uh, and aluminum obscenity. And he wants to speak up, but he can't because A, he can't even use his name Skip anymore. He says, your name's Alexander, actually, so use it. Um, so I hope that we'll get another couple of weeks out of it anyway before Contech move in with their uh, Instagram facial recognition Facebook uh, thing. Um, this used to be the monthly, it's great. It's, it's brilliant to see an event that moves from monthly to weekly because comedy quite often starts off with, oh, we're going to have a gig every 10 minutes uh, and there's going to be 100 people at every one. And then like two weeks later, what happened to that gig? Oh, we run it every, every blue moon now. Uh, <laughs> so it's just brilliant. And of course, they, it's probably one of the few transitions where you don't have to worry about the logo so much and redesigning the logo from going from weekly or from monthly to weekly because they probably stared at the logo for monthly general meeting and went, how are we going to make that weekly? And then somebody says, why don't we rotate? the left-hand square bit, and it'll just be perfect. And he picked a typeface that was amenable to that as well, too. It's like you were planning for the future, but you'll never go daily, no matter how popular it is. It, just, it will just cost too much. Uh, apologies for being uh, a bit hoarse. I've had a, I was in at Forbidden Fruit yesterday, and it was quite a shouty tent because it's next to all the dance music and everything. I was, I was I'm living in Dublin, I live in uh, Kilmainham in Chicor, or uh, obviously, when anybody describes where they're from with a hyphen between them, take it that they're from the, actually from the more disadvantaged of the two, right? So if you're from Finglas class Nevin, you're from Finglas, right? Uh, so, uh, so it was great, I was being there, um, Dublin, like, I like this, this is, this is another, the other thing about this is it's another area where I suppose the artistic and the slightly disadvantaged areas are living cheek by jowl to give what's known as an area a vibrant feeling. Uh, vibrant basically means that it's a combination of people who have been in love-hate and people who inspired some of the storylines in love-hate. <laughs> if there's anybody here who doesn't know what love-hate is, it's a television show that we made here in Ireland all by ourselves and we're fierce proud of it. <laughs> like, it kind of reminds, love-hate kind of reminds me of uh, like it is really good, but it does, the attitude towards it reminds me of somebody who's really good at singing for their aunt. And somebody says, oh, you should really go on telly with that. And they get cut to shreds by Simon Cowell. So love, hate, it's brilliant. They should really take it to America. And then they bring it to America and everyone goes, what is this fucking shit? You know, <laughs> so just, I'm just, just urge them to be careful uh, when, they, when they go. Um, but I, uh, I've had, uh, I've just, I was in uh, Finland last weekend. I was doing comedy there. I love the Finns. I don't know if anybody's any experience of the Finns because it's a part. Of, it's a more relaxed type of Scandinavia than, say, the Swedes. The Swedes are lovely people as well, but there is the sense that everything is so perfect in Sweden 
Like, I think it's almost uh, a cultural thing here that quite often when there's any kind of a failing in Irish society, be it either of like social policy or economics or whatever, we're always told what they're doing in Sweden. <laughs> like there'll be a news headline saying, the rate of teenage pregnancies has reached a 10-year high and it is now one of the highest in the OECD. In Sweden, there are only four teenage pregnancies. <laughs> and every one of them goes on to win the Nobel Prize. <laughs> Women's groups have once again called for a reform of the maternity leave system, which they say militates against career progression for women in their 30s. In Sweden, you get 18 years maternity leave, <laughs> and you don't even have to have had a child. <laughs> so, uh, and so at Sweden, it's almost like if Sweden lived next door to you, it's like your mother would be constantly saying, oh, do you know what Sweden's up to now? <laughs> Training to be a doctor. How's that false course going, Colm? You know, it's just, everything is perfect there. And I've been to Stockholm, and again, it's, it's, it's a society, like, it's like a lot of European cities, when Irish people go there, they, we enjoy it, but then we carry around a tremendous sense of self-loathing as we look at loads of things and say something like, if that was in Ireland, that would be robbed. And <laughs> it, it could be anything, like a newspaper stand or, or a cave. Like, just that. <laughs> because we're not immune to stealing geographical landmarks in this country. The best example of this I can remember was somebody rang into Liveline. If anybody doesn't know what Liveline is, it's the reason why we don't have protests. Uh, it's this <laughs> tiny little valve uh, in, the, uh, in the, the corpus of the Irish psyche. So that when we get really, really angry, we go, tell, it, tell us what happened to Mary. You know, it's just like, so, so somebody rang into Liveline and this terrible Joe, oh, what's wrong, Mary? Well, you remember, Joe, uh, well, I went for a walk last. I was good to go for a walk, Mary. Yeah, it's good to get a bit of exercise. And, well, I went for a walk down in, in Ballanderig uh, Forest, Joe. Oh, I went around Ballanderig, very nice place, and they've been down there many the time myself. And, and I went down there anyway, Joe, if you remember, it was last Saturday, it was a lovely day. Oh, it was a lovely day, Mary, it was a lovely day. And then, well, what happened, Mary, what happened? Well, Joe, I went down to the forest and it was gone, Joe. <laughs> What do you mean, gone, Mary? They'd stolen the forest, Joe. Like somebody had stolen a forest. And I do, while it is terrible and, and symptomatic of the malaise and the breakdown and civic responsibility and all that, I do have to admire any thief who has, I suppose, the breath of vision to contemplate stealing a forest. Like, what is it? Like, other people, like, you know, because they're, they're stealing pizza vans in Tala this weekend, you know, or in Ballymun, you know, so... So he was, he, like as if he was playing in the car some sort of inspirational music like I can move, move, move any mountain or something like that. <laughs> um, but Sweden, I found when I was there that, that it, everything worked so well and everything was so amenable and people were so nice. It was, it was very expensive there but I, I figured that was a price worth paying. Everything was so good that, that I was almost uneasy as if I was in one of these films which, for which the storyline is about the notion of parallel universes that are connected by wormholes and that each one of those universes diverges uh, because in one little event. And they could all be very similar to the universe we have, apart from one maybe very disturbing detail, detail which is revealed like halfway through the second act of the movie. So it's almost like I was going around Stockholm, terrified that like I would be tapped on the shoulder and somebody would say, you like Stockholm, don't you, Mr. O'Regan? <laughs> oh, I do. Uh, I do. Where did you come from, by the way? Uh, but I do. I really like Stockholm. I, I, I think it's one of those places where there's almost a maturity here, as if humanity has figured out how to, how to live in equilibrium with its environment, the urban environment. So, um, is, would it be correct to say, Mr. O'Regan, that you consider Stockholm to be some kind of paradise? Oh, I do actually. I think this is a this is a utopia. But have you noticed, Mr. O'Regan, that nobody here has a left hand? Oh my God, you're right. And then the music comes in, and it's just. Uh, but the Finns are incredibly relaxed people. A relaxed form of efficiency. Like they drink just as much as we do. But like the best or one liner I could think to describe the Finns is that they seem to drink more productively than we do. Like when we have a pint, like there's, they, they, they're so much more active, like they're, you know, don't get me wrong, their suicide rate's ridiculous, but you know, they, they, 
but it doesn't seem as depressing as it does here. Uh, but like, they, it seems like it, Irish people drink pints like, fucking thick bastard. It was, I don't know how he got that house. Like, sure he's done. <laughs> she couldn't even have the junior cert to fuck her. Like, and whereas, whereas a Finn drinks and goes, oh, oh, I know, why don't we play some sort of novelty game? Like, it's just that, it's so much more positive. Um, so we could do with learning a little bit from the Finn. So how am I doing on time? How does this work? I know, but theoretically that kind of instruction means I, I could have any amount of time left, so like... <laughs> two minutes, two minutes, two minutes or peace, whichever. Uh, two minutes, that's two minutes, yeah. For the benefit of the podcast listeners, Shane has raised two fingers indicating two minutes. Uh, so, I, um, let's check if there's anything else I'd like to say that's... Um... Oh, this, I don't know, uh, do we have any awfully people in? No. Uh, <laughs> Hipsterism and this kind of thing will probably have to be in its second century before Offaly gets it, uh, before Offaly considers it not gay. Uh, but Offaly's had a momentous week. Kanye West went to Tullamore. He went to the cinema in Tullamore. What an amazing thing to happen. And how could that possibly have happened? It's almost as if Kim Kardashian said to him, Kanye, this whole wedding has been such a clusterfuck, I need you to take me somewhere away from everything <laughs> where nothing happens and we can just be like exist in some sort of like white noise and, and it's like after a little bit of research Kanye says yo baby I know just the place and then they end up at the cinema in Tullamore and I'm hoping that this will like because I like when celebrities like proper stars not the people who are on the Late, late Show but proper stars <laughs> come, come to Ireland because they allow us they're outliers, they're, ex uh, they're further expressions, a natural expression of doing something. Like they do things that after a while we might think might be plausible. Like Kanye West named, they named their child North. You know, and I, I thought initially that I, I wasn't sure about that, a child called Northwest. I was thinking, oh, I don't like the direction this is going in. And, uh, <laughs> but there are upsides to being called Northwest, you know. You're, Autobiography could be North by Northwest. And <laughs> if you were really petty, constantly looking into the past and very troublesome, you could have a nickname of The North. Uh, but okay, all right. That's <laughs> a joke about the North of Ireland. No, nobody here. No, no. How young are you people? You remember the Troubles? Fucking hell. Like, <laughs> the reeling in the ears is a historical program. Jesus. <laughs> It's not Instagram, you know, that's not a filter. Uh, that's the kind of cameras they had then. Uh, but, but we, because uh, I, I, sorry, I have a pet hate against the filters. I'll make it look like the 70s. Like if you really want a photo that, Im that demonstrates what it was like in the 70s, there would be no photo because you wouldn't have a camera. Uh, you know, so anyway, that seems unnecessarily harsh. Uh, <laughs> On just what is just a nice hobby. Sorry, that was no need for that. But I think, I think that uh, because all of these influences, you know, we still we, we, we consider ourselves to have evolved an awful lot, and we have, and things have changed. But we're still a very guarded people. We're still a very conservative people. Like if you were in, if you were working, say, for a big company in the proper middle, like proper middle class, there'd be very few people you know who've had a baby without being married. Honestly, check it. Like it's, we're still a very conservative people and are very guarded and we don't like talking about our feelings that much still you know like if you go to America like I love to eavesdrop I was in New America recently I was in New York and it was possible to walk down the street and hear a phone conversation and that they were so open with each other that you would get the entire gist of what the conversation was about it's almost like years of therapy and the acceptance of therapy and the removal of stigma of talking about yourself has meant that they have no problem with discussing their innermost thoughts, no matter who is within earshot. So I was walking down the street and somebody was just talking and they were saying, oh yeah, dude, I've just come from there. Yeah, no, it was, it was, it was cathartic, man. And like, it was probably the best therapist I've been seeing right now. And no, you're right. I mean, I can't, it's uncanny how you managed to diagnose it yourself. Like you, you, you totally nailed it. You said I had passive aggressive issues and that a lot of my insecurity was due to my relationship with my father who wasn't there a lot of the time and, and also my, my, my mom's addiction to prescription pills. You, you completely diagnosed that. I, I really want to thank you so 
Let me take you out for dinner tonight, okay? Maybe I'll meet you at the corner of 42nd and 8th. How about that? Okay. Okay, bye. Right? Conversation here, far less information to be gleaned from overhearing it, because it'll just be you walk behind somebody and all you'll hear is, huh? Huh? Oh, sure, fuck it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, sure, this is it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, you said it. You did, you did. Fair fucks to you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And the problem is, and then at the end of the conversation, just before they hang up, they'll throw in one tiny little bit of detail that will indicate that the conversation was incredibly interesting. Because it'll just be like, huh? Oh, sure. No, we were very lucky with the judge we had. Fuck it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I've been Colin O'Regan. Enjoy the rest of the night. Thank you very much. Good night. Thank you. In addition to starring in two feature films before the age of 30, Peter Coonan exploded onto Irish TV screens with his portrayal of Fran in the hit RTE series Love Hate. Writer and creator Stuart Carlin was a guest at one of our first ever live shows in Dublin, so we were delighted to get Peter down to talk to us about his life as an actor, how he gets himself into characters that murder and maim for a living, and how much his life has changed. This is Peter Coonan. Yeah, cool. All right, so you're not friends, you're an actor. It's fine. You've just finished uh, Love Hate, That's Series right. 5. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and you said that you didn't want to talk about it. So. What happens? What, what happens? <laughs> I'm only missing, sorry, I, wouldn't, I, I said I wouldn't do that. Uh, but I did it, I lied. It's going to get worse. It'll be good. Um, well, uh, for, for a lot of these Q&As, uh, one of the things we like to concentrate on at the start is how somebody broke into the industry they're in, uh, in terms of like the filmmakers and writers, people have had different stories, but we've never had an actor before. Okay. So, so tell us that. Tell us how you broke into being an actor. Um, well, I'd, I'd done it from a young age, from about four then to about 16, in like a drama school in Rat Farnham. And then I gave it up for sport and college where I spent most time taking over various administration buildings. So I didn't remember much. But uh protesting. Yeah. You we were you like a radical it's a line from Big Lebowski. Um but uh <laughs> basically uh I, I, after when I was about twenty two or three I kinda got back into it because college wasn't for me. Um studying economics and information studies was certainly not something I wanted to um, pursue down the future. So I was doing a play a friend of mine had written called The Billy Goats of Sun, uh, Billy Goats of Get Glenview Park. And a guy, Mark O'Connor, who directed Between the Canals, had this script and he was a friend of a friend and he came in to see it. And he asked me if I wanted to play the, the lead in the film, which we went off then to kind of look around Dublin City for locations to shoot it in. Um, and we sent off, like shot a little bit on a HD camera at the time. We spent, I think, 150 quid on one uh, morning in Liberty Hall Flats, just off um, Sheriff Street. And I remember my dad drove in with a big uh, mattress, because the opening scene is my character throwing a washing machine over like three-story flats onto the ground. So we had to like aim down. We had one washing machine and one mattress, and we had to aim to hit it down. <laughs> so my old lad had the mattress in the back of the car. And... Uh, but anyway, we were shooting in this area, and I remember saying to people, like, if, Jesus, I'm from South Dublin, if we had shot something like that in my area, it would have been 10 minutes before they would have had the police down and going, get out of here, you're bringing this area into disrepute with your behaviour. <laughs> but down there, there was this woman, and she came out, and she was in her 60s, and she came out with a massive big pot of stew <laughs> and pillows for us to sit on, concerned that we'd get a cold from sitting on the tarmac. And it was March, so it wasn't beautiful weather. Um, but anyway, that was just an experience of time. Anyway, so we went back to the film board and they gave us uh, 100 grand to make this film. So we did it in about 10 days, 12 days, uh, which is about 2009. So it did quite well. Um, like, uh, critics enjoyed it. And, um, this is between the canals? This is between the canals. That was 100 grand. 100 grand, it's yeah. Nothing. Yeah. So yeah, we, it helped with people like Damien Dempsey in it, in it at the time. And it... it, it we did great for what we had, you know. We yeah. was, it was a hugely kind of improvised uh, piece of work, but uh, it worked really well. And uh, it was from that then that 
I got a, I got, I got a partner of hate. They were auditioning and they had kind of seen a good few people and then the casting agent saw a clip of this on YouTube and kind of went, can we get your man in for an audition? And I just done a short film um, with this guy, Nick Kelly, who was the lead singer of um, The Fat Lady Sings. Yeah. And he's a brilliant writer as well. We wrote this film called Shoe with an actor called Pat Kinnevin. And I just got, it got shortlisted for like uh, the Oscars for uh, Best Short. And I just got an agent randomly because there was a screening in the IFI. And then she called me like a few days later and said, Some lo- there's a show Love Hate, which I've been watching. I said, do you want to come in for an audition? So I got a maid around and learned the lines back to front and went in and auditioned for Fran. Amazing. Mm. Well, in, ter- in terms of the characters that you've played so far, I mean, uh, obviously between the canals, Fran and Love Hate yeah. and King of the Travellers. There's a certain trend. There's a, there's a trend, <laughs> yeah. And I won't lie to you, like, w- there's part of me when you look like that, uh, like out of the side of your eyes, that I, I'm shitting it. Like, yeah, yeah. You, like it's it, that kind of charisma that you have and it, it's fantastic. But what I, I wanted to know is to play characters like that that are often vi- violent sociopaths. Yeah. Uh, like, do you have to do a lot of work to get into that kind of character, and, and does it leave its mark on you afterwards? Like, does it take long for you to, you know, decompress afterwards and go back to yourself? Uh, I'd love to say it torments me at night and keeps me up, but initially it, it was harder. I mean, Between the Canals was a great kind of stepping stone for me to be able to kind of play a character like that who wasn't in any way as as crazy as Fram was or as psycho or sociopathic, but. I spent so much time in the North Dinner City with Mark um, as we were auditioning young kids and just generally walking around that area getting a sense of it. It was from those, whatever it was, six, seven months that we spent that I kind of built on the character of Doss because once it came to shoot, I just, the character was there, you know what I mean? And then with Love, Hate, there was, there was this incredible writing and um, the description of the characters in this world that Stuart had already created, there was kind of a, a slot there for Fran to go into um, so initially it was it was harder to get into that. So in the early days, like it season two uh, and three, there wouldn't have been, I, w- like I w- would have got on with everyone, don't get me wrong, but I would have spent more time kind of in the trailer than going out because I would have been there as much. I would have only done 10 days in season two and maybe 20 on season three. So I was in and out. So I kind of just didn't really buzz with people that much, kind of went in. And Do you think that helped? I think it did in, 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 at the beginning. Definitely. Um, but it didn't leave a mark. There were times when I'd go home and talk to people and I'd be like, what the fuck are you saying? They're like, Peter, you're not, in your, you're not playing a role Did there. you really? A little bit, but not, I mean, not intention- obviously not intentionally. It just happened. Yeah. I'd often kind of have a stronger Dublin twang. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, so. With those scenes where you're, where you're alone, that you mentioned like you're outside this mobile home, this caravan, you know, and often you're, you're, you're drinking supposedly for days. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, how do you get yourself into that frame of uh, I had to. That was the one thing I had to do a lot of uh, research into. Uh, <laughs> it was, yeah, I did some method acting there uh, where they had to pick me up at the, uh, in a green canal on Paddy's Day just to come and shoot. But no, um, <laughs> fuck you. Yeah. One or two experiences, but um, no, I, you drink I, no, real pudging. You, no, you, you do, yeah. You, you know that I'm gullible enough to believe that, and I think that's why you're saying that that's in front true. of people. Really? Yeah. You have to. What else? You can't pretend to just drink budging. Why not? That's what they're paying you for. Nah. They put real budging in there. <laughs> it's good gear. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, okay, uh, those scenes aside, there are some seriously graphic scenes in yeah. all of the films and in Love, Hate. And obviously there's a physical aspect to that, but... Um, I mean, I buy it every time. I mean, tapping into that world and that kind of lifestyle must have affected your real life. I mean, I can't imagine what it's like. I mean, the, the, the level of attention that you guys in the cast and yeah. the stewards have because of the success of Love, Hate is, is unprecedented and it's fantastic. It is great to see an Irish show like that get the kind of attention it deserves. And I think it's, it's one of the best shows that, that's ever coming out, out of this country. And I think you should be really, really proud of your work on it. But what has it changed in your day-to-day life, the three or four years in Love, Hate? Jeez, uh, I suppose it's just the, the random going to get a coffee at the shop and people kind of look at you and they, they're sure they know you. They do that little second of, <laughs> there are you. What are you, coffee, is it? Lovely. Uh, yeah, it's your, yeah, fuck. 
you mind if I take it for the a lot of photographs? So a lot of photographs. Yeah. But generally, like I say, people it'd be worse if people like I've heard stories of uh, when people were in Glen Row. There was a drug dealer in Glen Row, a guy Lola Roddy. I worked with his brother was a drug dealer in Glen Row, and like he used to get abuse walking down the street, like women coming up, going, oh, I don't, I can't be bringing drugs into Dublin. You fucking scumbag. <laughs> uh, you're no better than Tony Filoni or something like that. <laughs> but for us, it's positive. Everyone's very, very positive and, you know, they're looking for photos. You get the odd person if you're out having a few drinks, like people get kind of brave, like, you know, we could play that part. <laughs> or real, like the kind of heads that come up to you and kind of... In a situation like that, are you tempted to turn Fran on? No. Have you ever done that? Never. Never? Never. Oh, I'm impressed. If I had the ability to turn Fran on, I'd do it all the time. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and that too. <laughs> anyway. Um, so I had the ability to turn Fran on. Yeah. Turn me on. That was your moment to say I had that ability. Um, all right, so um, in, ter- in terms of like fans, that's fine. But I-, I also wanted to know, there's a pretty strong criminal fraternity left in Dublin. Yeah. They haven't emigrated. Yeah. Uh, if anything, they've gotten stronger over the years. Yeah. Um, I, like, and I realise you probably can't, can't an- answer this question. Well, have you um, had any kind of real-life contact with some, you know, the kind of characters that that series is based on? Either intentionally or unintentionally? No, not intentionally, because, uh, you know, Stuart's shows are 100% fictional. But, I mean, as a writer, it's very hard, which you, a lot of you would know, it's very hard not to take in a lot of this um, everyday stories that are floating around Dublin. And a lot of the time, in, in, in anything I've done, film uh, and television, uh, there's scenes that, like, Mark created a scene in between the canals that someone got shot in a pub, and a week before we did it, someone got shot in that pub. In King of the Travellers, Mark wrote a scene about a guy getting slash-hooked at a horse fair, and that happened about a month before we did it. And a lot with Stuart stuff as well. There's, there's stuff, life imitating art. But no, I've never, I've never met any of them. Um, I mean, a lot of the time we shoot in Ballymun and uh, Drimna and different places in Dublin, and a lot of people do come up. I mean, <laughs> there's a few occasions where there's... Uh, people coming up and I mean, someone said at one point someone showed them a gun or something you know what I mean going, what do you think of this and they were like what the fuck man get that away from me a real like, gun I'm, I'm, yeah 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 they're like I'm used to fucking rubber guns you know what I mean um, but I've never met them I've never never had a, a chat okay. I, I mean I, obviously I don't believe you like I think that you probably did have a <laughs> chat and you've been sworn to secrecy but I was kind of hoping that you'd yeah, say yeah. you did um well, it, obviously, like relatively speaking, compared to say an, uh, older actors like uh, Brendan Gleeson's or, or, or whatever, you've had a relatively short career. But in that career, uh, to date, you've had some fantastic highlights. You know, in 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 what five six years, mm. you know, three feature films and a, and a really really successful uh, TV show. What uh, what I wanted to know is what what's been the, hi- the highlights and the lowlights so far of your career as an actor, and what have you taken away from both? Jesus. Uh, well, I suppose the, the highlight was um, I had to be doing my first film, you know. Uh, I mean, I, I, yeah, getting behind the camera and being a novice, really. I mean, I'd acted for a number of years on stage and been to drama school, but like I was 23 or something, or 24, and I got this lead role in a film, and I didn't really have a fucking clue what I was doing in, in, in the sense of film acting or where the camera was or how to, like that I was walking into a mark and all these kind of things. So for me, the learning curve on that with like Dave Grennan, who shot it, who shot what Richard did and um, with working with Mark and that collaborative nature, that kind of was that, was, was that stepping stone for me and was that real base that gave me, um, gave me the source of all, you know, all, to work like that I think is the best way to work and that's why Love Hate is so amazing. I mean, we work in such a short space of time, but we get such a good end product out of it because you're working with people together towards the same goal. You know, there's no egos. Everyone believes in the script and believes in the work. And I think the first film I did was, was pretty a pretty high point. And then obviously with Love Hate, it's been pretty fucking amazing with the success it's got. And it's a pretty tight-knit group, isn't it? Yeah, it is. People work really hard together and um, often, like, there's days where, like, especially this year, where we're people were at the end of the tether, you know, and, uh, but uh, when you're working as a team, it's, it's a lot easier to do it than um, 
flying so and and in terms of like m- maybe there was a, a low point um in your career that maybe you've taken something positive from uh, i was trying to take i mean I've been, I, I've been quite fortunate uh in that like i mean there's, there's times when you there's times when you go for parts and you don't get them like i mean every time you go in for an audition you're putting yourself out there and the majority of the time you don't get them you know so that's uh, you still find that like that happens it happens now. all the time there's not an actor in the world that it doesn't happen to you know um so that's that's their tough points you know, when you've gone in, you've put work into an audition and you go in, <laughs> you're just shite. And there's nothing you can do and you walk out of there and you've left so much behind and you're like, God, I could have done so much better. But, yeah, so they're the low points, but they're made a hell of a lot better by the, by the good times. You know? Like, what motivates you? What, what keeps you going in, 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 in situations like that? Like, I, I can imagine, like, an actor's life is a weird existence where you're working on Love, Hate for, what, 20 weeks or something like that? Ten. Ten, ten, ten weeks. Ten, yeah. Right, um, and uh, and you've got to keep going and, and going and going, and then you probably have lean periods of, yeah. of months, right? It, during that time, like, are you, are you, do you act in front of the mirrors to keep <laughs> yourself sharp? Or? Well, it was great. We had, like, a, a kind of a hub like this over in uh, the factory on Barrow Street that was there for the last couple of years. It was created by Kirsten and Lance and John uh, and Shimmy Marcus, which was great, because you could go in on a Tuesday and Thursday, and you'd run through scenes with wonderful actors and that would be kind of oiling the wheels and keeping it going. Um, but, I mean, a lot of the time it's in the winter of Ireland, so you just sit back and watch a shitload of films. Nice. And uh, relax, but n- yeah, so now I've got a break, uh, which is a different break that I'm used to because I'm looking after a baby. Oh, yeah, I should say yeah. for the benefit of both <laughs> the audience and the podcast that Peter is a, a new dad as yeah. of two weeks ago. Three. Uh, so that's a, that's yeah. a toughest role, yeah. That's the <laughs> toughest role. That's brilliant. And, and thanks, William, for coming down. Yeah, no, no. How in God's name you persuaded her to let you come out. Um, it's a disgrace, frankly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we're, very, we're very glad. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, well, uh, I, I guess if there's anybody in the audience that would have a, a question for Peter, we can't uh, really see it because the projector lights on, but uh, if you could either raise your hand or make some noise... Uh, for example, I have a question, would be a noise. <laughs> um, are you scared of, of Peter? Uh, we've established he's just an actor. Just an actor? Oops. <laughs> Sorry. Only. He, only. He's only a great, awesome actor and top guy. Um, any questions? Yeah, go, go for it. You mentioned this before a little bit, but do you find that your characters rub off in your daily life? I, I only say this because I watched a bunch of The Wire and I kept saying motherfucker to everybody for like weeks yeah but do you find it like you can you easily switch it off or does it stick uh you get better at it with time uh like i was saying early on in the first two seasons i was quicker to kind of go what the fuck are you tough and then they're like shut up man you're not you're normal you're peter but yeah so as it's gone on it's been easier to switch off which is kind of strange because as it's gone on the characters become more psychopathic and there's more scenes of choking people with shopping bags that you kind of go, what the fuck did I do there? But there is a number of scenes that you walk away and you go, Jesus, I can't believe I just did that. You know, a normal day in, in, in the life of an actor in Love Hate is like, you know, you grab, you're grabbing a girl's ass in a nightclub and then you're choking someone with a shopping bag. Super value bag, to be precise. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, it gets better as you go on, I suppose. It was, it was one other question I wanted to ask you, actually. Um, so you're based in Ireland. Uh, yes, in Dublin. At the a professional moment. actor based in Dublin, and an awful lot of the cast, even in Love, Hate, are yeah. UK-based. Yeah, yeah, big time. How do you find that? Well, at the moment, it's, it's, it's okay. I, lived in, I was in Belfast doing a play in January and February, uh, which was... It was kind of lonely going away for a number of uh, months. To, but it was a great play. It was doing uh, translate or Philadelphia, here I come by Brian Freel, which was pretty, pretty, it's a masterpiece. So that was great, but uh, I mean, there will come a time where I'll have to go over and get work. But at the moment, I'm steady, steadily going along. Here I'm starting to play now in August, doing the Borstelvoy oh, cool. in the Gaiety. So yeah, you do. once it dries up big time, you know, I'll make a move, but yeah. I prefer to stay put for now. You know, it is great to see, like it, it is really, really good to see a successful Irish actor. Um, even like the, the likes, I guess, of Donald and Brendan yeah. Gleeson, who are still based in Dublin, they, they go for jobs here and there, but they're yeah, still exactly. based in Ireland. It's, it's a really, really healthy thing. Does anybody else have a... C- one more question. So, I think it was last 
I'm doing some work in Sheriff Street at the moment, yeah. and you were filming there. Yes. And um, loads of different people actually were telling me that you're their favourite because okay. of the way, like you just chat them way more, I think, than uh, some of the other actors do. And in the in the college I'm working, a couple of actors are also in love, hate, and different people telling me about like their niece or their cousins, stuff or there. So I was wondering, like, something I find interesting about Love Hate is you have kind of the lead actors who are you guys, um, and they always joke how like Niv and stuff is really posh in real life, and then you have local actors who are also involved. So for example, Leroy. Yeah. So I was wondering, on set, um, so there's like, yeah, what's it like on set when you have the main actors, you have local actors, and then you have loads of local people like when you're on the main street, Sheriff Street, the other week, coming in and joining in. So what's are you guys kind of divided or do you know and what's even even that you uh, segment it like that into kind of what did you say local actors as well yeah like yeah yeah no i mean it's just a bunch of actors mm. there's no um hierarchy or anything like that everyone just chats to everyone it's a very kind of uh, open playing field like when i came in initially i was just like a, a, a another actor coming in and aiden gillen from the wire and Tom and Robbie Sheehan and all these guys and I was I just watched The Wire religiously you know what I mean in about two hours the whole thing uh, so I was kind of you know what, going like what the fuck am I doing here but to, like everyone's very friendly and like Aiden was very helpful to me and very supportive all the way through um, which helped me a hell of a lot and other I've tried to do that to other actors younger actors coming in um, so there's definitely no difference. I mean, I was chatting to Leroy the last time he was on set, and I know he's had a tough time over the last year. But um, no, and, and in regards to people coming up uh, to you when you're shooting, like that day we were shooting on Cherry Street was fucking insane. Uh, there was about 60 of them. And I, was, I just got my bike robbed about a week before. So the young lads were going around with these savage, specialised bikes, you know, and they're going, I'm bike day. And I was like, I fucking actually do. You don't have one of my bikes back there, do you? They like said if I tell you no problem, no problem, I'm gonna get it. And then I know a lot of the people from doing Between the Canals, which was in two thousand and nine. So I kinda of found myself chatting to a lot of the women who were uh, hanging around there. Peter, how are you love? Come into the house there, have a cup of tea. So you go in and chat to them. But uh, I find that th th these people are gonna once you have to go and shoot a scene, if you're as amiable as possible towards them, they're gonna be helpful to you. You know what I mean? If you try and cut them off and say no. Because a lot of time people do that because you get security guards whose job is to make sure that the actors aren't harmed, you know? So if you just go, fuck it, man, like, come on, let's have the crack, then it works in your benefit. Anybody else have a, a question for Peter? Oh, yeah. In Love Hate. <laughs> <laughs> um, when you're playing characters with such extreme emotions, how much do you embody those emotions? And when you step away from it, how much does it exhaust you kind of going from being like a seemingly really nice dude to like really angry dude and bouncing back and forth? And how shocked are you when, you, when you're able to make that jump with yourself? Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty good question. Um, I think sometimes yeah, you definitely do shock yourself, um, but you have to, I think I, what you find is like, I mean, especially with the character Fran, there's things that I found that helped me. Uh, I remember like when I used to play soccer against teams from Dolphins Barn and different places, and you go out there, you know, very, um, you know, middle class boy play football, and your socks pulled up and everything, you're running out and, you know, you're say you have a bike for a month for the, for the um, story and someone comes out and goes, yeah, boy, quick. And they're walking over to you and you're kind of going, fuck. You know what I mean? You're like, shit, take my bike. I'm, I'm sorry, you're in town. He goes, let me watch, is it? Give me watch. It's, it's a bully. It's essentially a bully. So when it, we go into scenes like the strangling, for example, it's just a heightened version of that bully. And then the, the emotions where you have to go, I mean, you do have to sit away in a dark room, which I've done for two or three scenes and just go into somewhere pretty scary, don't talk to anyone, and be that person for as long as you can for the, the truth of the story to come out. So there is times when you come down off that and you walk away and you're like fucking exhausted more than anything because it takes a lot for you to do that. Um, does that answer your question? Okay, cool, thanks. Um, does anybody else have a question? Peter? My favourite part of that question is that he said he was a seemingly nice guy. <laughs> <laughs> he is an actor. Let's not trust him, anyone. 
<laughs> uh, his next role is a charmer. Um, any any last questions? Uh, <coughs> yeah, it was quite daunting initially. Uh, I did the first play in a good number of years uh, last year with uh, a group called the Corn Exchange, who are uh, renowned for kind of um, uh, improvised, well, not, not improvised, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, Commedia della Art, but it, they did this kind of straight theatre, but real movement stuff. Um, but it, yeah, the transition was 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 definitely tough. It's a different animal altogether. I mean, you you go from doing film and TV, which is you know you're holding back all your emotions have to be in some way kind of hidden or or less to the to the viewer's um, knowledge. Uh, so with theatre, it, it's a hell of a lot more demanding as well, uh, especially a, a, lot, a run like of six weeks. If you're playing a, a lead part, it can be really demanding. Firstly, on your voice, that's the one thing. So I've got a quite naturally hoarse voice. So when I was doing Philadelphia and Belfast, I kind of had to adjust. Um, and the, the, the actual life of a theatre actor can be, uh, you know, you, you finish a play at half 11, like you're working essentially from half six to half 11 at night. You finish, you're full of adrenaline, you know, you go for a few drinks and then you wake up at three in the afternoon and you go in and do the same thing over, repeat that for weeks on end. So that kind of part of it was difficult to adjust to. Uh, as much as learning the script, but I find that the dissecting the script and you know becoming these characters and working with wonderful actors and directors, I think that's always been the most enjoyable part for me in anything, be it television or film. Um, but with theatre, the kind of the, the belly fluts you get before you go out on stage is frightening, but also un incredibly rewarding at the end of the day. So there you go. Nice. Well, unless anybody has any last questions for Peter, um, it just leaves me to say, uh, all joking aside, we do really appreciate the fact that you came out considering the last couple of weeks that you've had. <laughs> Not at all. And, Let's get a break. Uh, it, but it does mean an awful lot to us. Um, you know, w we think that you're you're obviously fantastic at what you do, and it's it's a it's a rare talent and a special thing, and it's great to see when someone as good as you at what they do do comes out of Dublin, comes out of Ireland, and and does such a successful job at a show like Love Hate in particular. So, if you join me uh, uh, in in giving Peter Coonan a round of applause, thank you. That's it for this week's show. Thank you so much for downloading or streaming. We really hope you've been enjoying the podcast. And you can support us in a few different ways. You could give us a nice rating on iTunes and perhaps a kind word in the comments section. You could tell a friend about it and encourage them to give it a listen. Or if you've recently come into money and you fancy becoming a patron of the arts, you can visit our website, theweeklygm.com, and drop a few pence into our tip jar. It would be greatly appreciated. Thanks to our guests this week, Sarah Griffin, Anderson, Colm O'Regan, and Peter Coonan. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Facebook. The Weekly GM is the handle for both and we'll be back next week with the big one. Talk to you then. <laughs>